Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Take the Hill, a leadership podcast designed to connect you with individuals who are exhibiting significant leadership within their respective fields. So, Dennis and Angela, welcome back to the show today. Hello. Thank you, Patrick. Hello. It's good to have you. So, we are extremely excited to have Mr. Steve Adokoff back with us today uh, to talk about in a current trending topic related to TikTok and WeChat and kind of how that is shaping up some of the things we're seeing domestically as well as globally. So Mr. Adekov, Steve, welcome back to the show. Patrick, so great to see you. Dennis as well, Angelo as well. Just a, a pleasure being with Last time I was with you guys was in May. We were at the front end of this uh, coronavirus. We were talking about deglobalization, financial government repression, all kinds of, you know, light-hearted topics and uh we're back again with more light-hearted topics and it is exciting and and like you said for those of you who have not checked out that earlier episode with steve it is episode number nine over the horizon uh you know take the time to hit pause now and go back or after we're done kind of engaging in a conversation today go back and listen to some of that again steve like you said you bring so much to the table and we're always excited to have you here oh you're too kind and it's a pleasure being with but with all of you Wonderful. So, so today, uh, where we're going is a kind of an in-depth conversation and maybe a little bit of walk through the history uh, related to TikTok and WeChat. Um, you know, there's a lot of some interesting kind of tug and pull happening within the industry, uh, both here in the United States for not only business reasons, but perhaps politically, you know, as well. Uh, so I think it's a, not only a relevant topic, but again, it, it demonstrates that you know, you can have these courageous and difficult conversations and really come out on the other side learning a lot, all right, without necessarily having to, you know, you know, get into a conversation where you're necessarily going after somebody just because of their political views, all right? So, you know, we're excited, like you said, to kind of go through this history and again, explore, you know, this from multiple lenses. So I guess, Steve, at least in the beginning, you know, would you be able to, for our listeners, provide a little bit of background maybe on, you know, TikTok and WeChat and, you know, what are they? Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, um, remember, this is all in the context of deglobalization, but mm -hmm. the, the, the two recent focuses of, of the Trump administration and the war on China um, has been these two applications, um, uh, one of which I think is fairly new. The other one has been around for quite some time. So TikTok is, um, you know, it's kind of a, 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 a mobile um, smaller YouTube in its own way. Everybody makes these short mobile videos and they put it on and very popular, very popular. So 52 million weekly users uh, in the US. So, you know, a big number, a big number, lots of adoption. Uh, it's, um, it's owned by ByteDance, which is um, um, uh, not nearly the, um, the size of Tencent, which owns WeChat. We'll talk about WeChat in a minute. Um, uh, but ByteDance is growing, and this is obviously its jewel. And it has a couple of, of um, very well-heeled institutional venture capital investors from the US, from Silicon Valley, in the deal. Sequoia and um, uh, uh, the, the other one's skipping my way. Let me just figure out who the other one is. Ah. Of course, General Atlantic is the other one that's in there. And I, I believe that those VC groups own 
you know, it's reported to be something like 40% of, of um, TikTok, but it's in a very passive way. So the VCs are not doing the management and operations of TikTok. Uh, uh, their so-called passive investors, and that's going to be that's going to be an important distinction as you sort of talk about what um, uh, uh, what the what the administration has has kind of demanded, or at least their starting point for negotiation. How I look at it, and where they're going to end if they end up at all. So that's TikTok. WeChat is so significantly bigger and. Uh, when, when I was in uh, China last year, I spent a month or so in China traveling, doing some business. Um, we only could communicate with WeChat. And in fact, with my Chinese colleagues, it's all about WeChat. And it has something like over a billion users. It's, um, it's huge. It's probably bigger than WhatsApp. It just sort of dwarfs all of it. But here's the most interesting parts, it seems to me. It's owned by Tencent, which is a huge um, uh, Chinese sort of venture capital conglomerate. And the most amazing parts of WeChat have less to do with the chat and more to do with its other applications. Gaming, for example, um, it's got the whole mobile video stuff too. But the most significant, in my view, is their payment methodology. So you go to China and you want to buy something. Uh, they get offended when you pull out a credit card. <laughs> what is this? Come on, you stupid American, you're using a credit card? And then you pull out some cash, some, a wand. Like, do I have to make change for you? This is such a hassle. It's so, so aggravating. You're a stupid American. Why don't you just use WePay, the digital application, it's like PayPal or, or Apple Pay, but dwarfs PayPal. Well, I, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know the data, but WeChat's pay service, WePay, is so huge. Everyone in China uses it. You have to have a Chinese bank account to tie to it, so I couldn't use it. But that technology is huge. And by the way, I'm not sure, as we talk about sort of where um, – uh, the administration's leverages in all of this, and I, I, I don't believe this is um, this is really a story of um, the administration saying, "Here's what I'm demanding," and then if they don't get it, they're going to go away. This is all really about the Donald negotiating, and we'll talk about that soon. But watch out for the payment systems in WeChat, and and frankly, I'm told that there's potential. Um, uh, logarithms and, and, and other technology that TikTok has that may be useful for payment systems as well. And that's really why Walmart wants a large chunk of it. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's that's what I've heard. How cool is that topic? I just, how yeah, fantastic is that? It's incredible, like you said, uh, in the back end, and, and I think I'm already pulling this out now, and, and I think maybe our listeners are catching in on this. It's, you know, if you think of the back end and the micro data or the macro data that's coming through there, Right. And maybe, you know, and when we talk about, you know, current social media websites and, and profiling and what we're really grabbing from the individual users, right, that's also really interesting. And I think also going to be a line of conversation we'll have here shortly. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Right? And, and obviously, this has been a little bit of on the political side as too, right, perhaps, you know, what, as you look at the presidency or government from the United States in a domestic perspective first, 
you know, what powers really resides within our government? It's a fantastic question. And it was the first thing that struck me, sort of the lawyer in me came up and said, you know, how's the Donald doing this? This is just, this is like Tony Soprano stuff, right? You are going to sell the business. You're going to sell. And by the way, you're going to pay me a commission. Let's get it done. It's crazy. Um, and and I, in my certainly my professional career, I've never seen it. But there is the 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 powers that are being um, used right now. It's the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Now that came into effect in sort of the late seventies, and it's got some specific requirements to it. And let me just go from my notes here. So it 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 it, it takes. Um, uh, national security and rests the power with the president, not Congress. I mean, so normally, if you're going to declare war, this, Congress has um, has all the powers except what's reserved to the president of the states. And blah, blah. so, this is sort of a, a slicing of off of saying, president, in these cases, you can do a lot of bad stuff to private citizens. But uh, so, it, it allows the president to regulate interstate excuse me, international commerce, international commerce, but you got to declare an, an, a national emergency and it's got to be in response to this unusual and extraordinary security threat for the United States with the source that's outside of the US. So it's kind of a narrow band of authority where you got to declare an emergency and then take action. Normally, the action that's taken is you freeze assets, you block transactions. We're going to talk about that one in, in, in a second. And if there's an actual attack, you can confiscate property. What I've never seen is, guys, you got to sell a business or we're going to ban you. That's just, that's just really, that's a new one. That is really crazy. That is, when I say it's crazy, I mean, it's actually very interesting. We've just never seen it in our lifetime. So you could, you, yeah. you know, you could fairly ask: Are there similar laws that relate to this? And um, the closest one that I know of is uh, something called Exxon Florio. And I'm just taking you back here to the days when I was a young punk associate at Cano <laughs> Gates, and you do, you know, you do the deal, and everyone knows um, as a young punk in the M&A world, you've got to watch out for something called Hart Scott Redino filings, and that's basically an antitrust rule that says if your deal size is over a certain amount, you've got to make a filing with the government. Um, uh, and basically allow the government to say, slow down, back up, you're at a competitive, time out, we need more information or we're not going to let this happen, and, and fine. And the thing about Hard Scott Redino is you do the filing, the government's got 30 days to speak or forever hold their peace, they don't say anything in 30 days, you know your transaction's clean, you carry on with life. That's good. I was doing a transaction years ago for, um, uh, let me not even say the industry, um, but uh, it was a foreign buyer and an American seller. And um, it was the first time I confronted that. And so you reach out to your, you know, your Hart Scott Redino guys, your antitrust people, and they whip up their Hart Scott Redino filing and you know, we're ready to go. And they say, oh, by the way, you know, there's this law called Exxon Florio. And I said, well, I, I don't. Well, tell me about it. And said, well, so at Exxon Florio, if um, uh, 
uh, if a transaction is um, uh, uh, going to implicate national security and the president believes that um, uh, it's bad, it's, it's going to impact national security, then the president's got the power to say, uh-uh, it doesn't happen. And I said, oh, but, you know, that fine. So we'll do our filings and we'll wait 30 days and, and, and that'll be that. And he said, no, 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 no. Unlike Hart Scott Rodino, Exxon Florio has no time limit. So you file, government says nothing. Ten years later, in theory, the government could come back and say, we're unwinding that deal because there's just too much risk there. Um, I've only, I'm sure that it's been um, uh, uh, implemented in other places, but Exxon Florio, the only time I recall seeing it is after 9-11, um, <clears throat> Dubai World, a company that I did, a, 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 certainly with their subsidiaries, did a lot of work with, um, particularly the Dubai Multi-Commodity Center, uh, but Dubai World owned, the, I believe, owned the Dubai Ports business, and the Dubai Ports business is one of the largest operator of ports in the world, certainly at the time, guessing it still is and they wanted to after 9-11 come in and buy some ports where they were i think baltimore strikes me as one of them there were a couple of other major ports that they were going to come in and buy and operate it was a major deal and and president bush um you know bush too said no national security says we can't have this after 9-11 it ain't happening and he killed the deal uh and the reverberations went on for quite some time. That's the only time I've seen any of this, you know, sort of rise to the top. But what's going on with today is the government is saying, um, and again, I will talk about this, but I believe this is really the, the, I believe it's the crux of the matter, a negotiation technique, and will ultimately prove to be the beginning, middle, and the end on all of this. The administration says, I can't tell whether they're saying we've declared a national emergency or we're going to, but a national emergency is or will be declared. It's all about security, the threats from outside of the United States, and we're allowed to do things um, like what they're requesting now. That's the so, legal underpinning. Yeah. yeah. And so if I'm, if I'm getting this, it's, you know, if you get back to Exxon Florio, like you said, you, it's almost, more domestic, you have the evidence that's already there. If you look at the International Economic Powers Act, it's the potential that may happen. So it gives you the opportunity to kind of not stop it before it begins, but it opens up a control where maybe outside of the sh domestic shores, you may not necessarily have as much control. So I... I or, well, I, I think that you, I, the, the Trump administration is hoping it plays out that way. But okay. I'm telling you, we're treading territory that has never been tread before, as far as I know. And in fact, okay. the courts are now just starting to think about this. So most recently, what we've seen is um, an injunction in California issued against banning WeChat on First Amendment grounds because mm -hmm. the vast majority of Chinese nationals or Chinese Americans who communicate with people in China is through WeChat at a billion users. Yeah. And it's, you know, it would be like banning WhatsApp, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, so a judge in California ruled, hey, we hear what the government is saying, but the government hasn't made a compelling case that whatever China may be a security threat and maybe, maybe, maybe. 
and you can prove that, but you haven't made a compelling case that WeChat is the one that's the problem, and therefore you're blocked from doing what you want to do. Basically saying, I'm sorry, but uh, the International Emergency Economic Act, Economic Powers Act, ain't working for you, government. That's going to be where the rubber hits the road, by the way. So, Steve, um, you know, you, you made a statement that uh, we're treading in areas that we've never been before, and that's kind of been the trend for the last three years. Uh, so, <laughs> but I, I got to ask you the question. So, what what does what does Trump want? It's a great question, and. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to tell you what Trump has asked for, but I don't think that's necessarily the end game. Um, first, let me tell you what he's asked for. Then let me tell you how it's been, um, uh, 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 what I think it is, and then how others have responded to it. So he's come out and he said, look, national security interest, here are the things I want. I want control of this company to rest in American hands, someone I trust. I want all of those, the data um, from all of the U.S. citizens to be in the control of a U.S. entity. And by the way, I want you to sell this company so that the USA company controls it, and I want money for that. I, 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 so backing up, I'm not sure what much of that means, but um, uh, I want money for that sure sounds like he wants a commission. Uh, <laughs> Which you know I'm good with. I, I, I think it's 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 great that the president says, "Hey, I'm entitled to a commission. I struck a deal. The fact that I broke your arm making the deal doesn't mean I'm not entitled to my commission. Uh, give me five percent yeah, or whatever that number is. And by the way, the price tag is it's a sixty billion valuation. It would be a uh, a twelve billion dollar um, uh, payment um, uh, by Walmart and Oracle that they split. Um, Okay, so uh, that's what the Trumpster put on the table on day one. How it's looking, and, and, and everybody, by the way, said, oh my goodness, you know, this is what they're demanding, or it's, 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 it's his way or the highway. I don't really view it like that. I don't think that Trump said, um, this is what I'm demanding and you gotta do it or I'm gonna block this. I think what Trump said was, it's time to negotiate. And a great negotiator looks for what his blue sky is. Mm -hmm. And he says, what do I want? Because you get one chance to ask for everything that you want. If you ask for what you want, then a week later you come back and say, I forgot about X, Y, and Z that I'd like too. You're a schmuck. The deal's not going to get done. All kinds of problems. <laughs> right? So He's smart. He's, you know, the art of the deal. And he's absolutely right. If this is the way he's thinking, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to put my blue sky on the table. And my blue sky is that data has to rest with the U.S. company. I want control with the U.S. company. And I want you to pay me $5 billion. What's the big deal? And if you don't, I'm going to ban you. Now, the you see a lot of the noise, particularly today, where the ultimate deal that's not approved yet, that's kind of on the table, everybody's saying, ah, oh, Trump didn't get what he wants. That's just a, a bold misunderstanding of, of negotiation and of what uh, the president, I think, truly does want. The president gave him a blue sky, might be a hard-ass blue sky, but he gave him a blue sky, and now the question will be, 
was the counter that was struck by all of the moving parts, which there are a lot of moving parts, is that going to be good enough for him? Or does he feel like he can come in and grab some more value? It's a good negotiator. And let me ask you guys, what do you think the whole key to that's going to be? Oh, so <laughs> here, here's honestly where, and I know Dennis has a, a couple follow-up questions, but here's, here's where I'm stuck, right? So as you said, you go back in history and just look at typical negotiations or typical deals. I, I just never have seen an individual or an entity go say to another entity, well, you're here, you're operating in my industry and in my environment, but you are going to sell to me and here's the terms. And, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of at that point like you and I'm wondering like, how, how does this happen? Like, are we just making the assumption that, you know, we have enough leverage and we're big enough and, we're, and we have that much pull and influence in the market that we can dictate our terms? And if that's the case, I also go back and start to think about, well, in a predominantly capitalist environment, right? You, you have mechanisms in place which prevent this from happening. Right. So, so, so I'm going to, so I don't know. I don't know if I know how to answer your question, Steve, because it's a really good one. I mean, is it, is that, is that fair professor? <laughs> you, you know, I think you're, you're, you're so right on the money. Um, uh, so a couple of things are going on. Um, this, this injunction in California is a big deal, right? Yeah. I and mean, if, if Trump, if if the if the if the California court says you can't ban the application, Trump's done. He's got no leverage, right? I mean, yeah. what's he going to do? The app will be there. He has to now find a new way to, you know, pick at that. That is that is really huge. Yeah, there's please. Yeah, no, and I think, and you're coming from the legal mind. Um, it's almost to me, and tell me if this is a naive way of looking at it, but it's when you, when you apply the law in any type of case, it's here is the law by which we got to measure what we're seeing. And it sort of prescribes what the outcomes will be. And unless something comes in and adds to that law or sets a precedent, or there is some other case out there that sheds light or provides direction, which I think in this case, there is none as you said, maybe then what's happening out in California might be the, the force that, that ultimately pushes this one way or another. But I, again, I, I come back to, to thinking that I, I have nothing to apply or I have no frame of reference or context because this is crazy in a way. New, new <laughs> like, like I've just never seen it. Yeah. And, it's, and as you said, it's completely fascinating because again, you have billions of users using both of these entities. Right. You sort of have the same thing with social media apps and communication chat apps, whatever they may be in the U.S. as well. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> Shoot, and uh, you're, you're you're absolutely correct, and it's um, it's so fascinating. Remember that case in California is an injunction for um, preventing the ban of WeChat. Mm -hmm. They, the lawyers for TikTok have made similar arguments in, 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 in a case that was filed a couple of days ago, might have been yesterday. And this morning, the judge in that case said, government, you got, I think, till the end of today to make your case why um, TikTok is, is different than WeChat. My words, not the government's, not, not, not the judge's words. But 
that really is um, um, that that's another mystery. And you are absolutely right that uh, uh, we don't know how it's going to play out, and it's um, and 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 we don't know how to conduct our behavior. I, I think one of the things you're driving at, Patrick, is if you if you put this in the in the topic of deglobalization, and that's just part of an ongoing trend. But you see, I mean, who would come to this country and put an application out there just to be told, "Oh, well, thank you, I've got to sell it now." It, it, it's got to have yeah. a chilling effect. Yeah. Just got to. Yeah, and then I get into this, and then I get into the side. Okay, you know, you have this metadata that's out there, right? And just like the United States, and let, I mean, realistically, yes, we are collecting this data and we're using it to profile and build, you know, the perfect marketing plan to, to keep our keep our customers coming back, right? That's what we do, right? That's just normal. So then I get into maybe the intelligence application of it. Say this is a national security risk. Well, you know, as you move through periods of time, things obviously become more complex. Right, and I think this is the first time that we're really seeing a large-scale capacity effort to utilize metadata to influence, we'll just say, elections. Right, because that's what's happening right now. Whether it's happening or not, another different conversation. But we use them as a foreign power. Right, we collect as much data on our folks or other people around the world as other countries do as well. But now, here. But then yet the balance side is you always have the counterintelligence efforts as well, right? So, and you're always building up security within those platforms. So it's, it's uh, as you said, it's this, it's this highly complex and dynamic environment, which is new, I think, for a lot of us. And I don't know how, again, we can, as U.S., even if we move towards deglobalization, like how and this may be another question, how does that strengthen our ability to secure what's happening within our borders? And I, I don't, I don't know. So not to cut you off, Dennis. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, this is all intriguing to me. You know, how I, since we've met with Steve last time, I've talked to Patrick many times about how this deglobalization just, I'm intrigued with it. And I guess as we're talking, I'm, I'm not as up to date with all the we, all these different chatting and, and so forth and the politics of it. But, you know, I, I got to think, does Trump know more behind the scenes information where, you know, he's a strategist. He's, he, and again, he's, he, he's a tough negotiator and so forth. But, I mean, is he setting us up for, a future, for this deglobalization to where we have more control in the future over what happens? Um, because... You know, he know he he may know more than what we know in some information. So my question is: Is this a? And politically, we're split too because uh, there's many people politically that would rather have the globalization. There's some that would rather have the deglobalization. So again, there's this big fight going on behind the scenes. I would imagine. So I, is it a strategy that Trump is? I don't know. I, I guess I'm asking that question. If it made sense. So um. I, I don't know the answer, Dennis. I, I, I really don't. Uh, here's just a couple of observations. I think it's a great question that you raise. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that uh, neither this issue nor the general war, trade wars with China, is a Democrat-Republican issue. 
you'll note that Biden hasn't said anything, and the Democrats have done nothing to dissuade. Uh, we know Nancy Pelosi is not bashful, and for, you know, full disclosure, I'm a I'm a Democrat. I don't think I've ever voted for a Republican for president, even though I've liked a couple of them who have run, but. Uh, Pelosi certainly wouldn't pass on an opportunity to, or Schumer to, you know, jab the president. They don't say anything about this one. Everybody continues to say, not a big deal. Go for it. I don't know that they're actually saying, you know, go get him. So uh, you may be right. it's, It's awfully hard for me to tell, but it does seem like, the deglobalization um, um, soapbox um, is one that's getting accepted more and more every day. And uh, I mean, I'm a Ricardian, you know, international trade guy. I, uh, more international trade is always better than less. And uh, I scratch my head about the whole theory, but uh, that's not what's going on in the world. And then remember, what we were also talking about in May. Um, and by the way, this five billion that's going to our government is uh, for the TikTok deal that's on the table. If it works, is just part of this. It's all going to be about the global war for tax revenue, and that's what it's going to be all about. Uh, because we're all go- it's going to be less growth in the world. We've got all of this stimulus. Um, there's you know, there's going to be less tax revenues. All the governments, every government, every sovereign in the world is going to need money. Uh, deglobalization plays into that and kind of some ways it's perverse because you would think that that um, uh, growth will slow in a deglobalized world. I guess others say that I'll have more control over the means within my borders to tax. But I, I'll tell you another relevant thing. Um, it was either earlier this year or late last year, there's a movement in Europe, and they wanted to be a worldwide movement, for basically how we tax um, internet companies, companies that are operating on the web internationally, but who have no nexus to any particular country, which is usually the basis by which tax happens in some form or fashion. <clears throat> and the U.S. pulled out of it. The U.S. said, ah, you know what, we're going to we're going to think about this in a different way and you guys go figure it out yourself. Well, if, if there's not a uniform global approach to taxing an internet company, they're going to go to the jurisdiction of, you know, most favorable taxation and uh, they're going to do what they should do, what you would think agency theory would require, which is minimize your tax. Don't break the law, but minimize your tax. And that's basically what, the Trumpster did by saying, eh, we're going to pull out of that. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what to talk about that. It's going to yeah. be wild over the next few years. We'll be able yeah. to talk about this consistently over the next five years, I have a feeling. <laughs> hey, how, how, does, how is China reacting to all this? Um, I love China's reaction, um, and and some some of it is if you've ever done a deal with the Chinese and negotiated with the Chinese, what you realize is everyone who I negotiate had the pleasure of negotiating, they are really good at what they do. They really, I, I don't know if when they were two years old they negotiated for you know toys or whatever it was. They're very good at what they do. So the first thing the Chinese did was have a big – the Chinese have to approve this deal apparently, and I'm not quite sure what in China law re- requires that, but ByteDance needs Beijing's approval. 
So the first thing Beijing does is it calls its national news and it says, here's the, here's the line you're gonna print. You know, Trump is like Tony Soprano. He's a bully and a thug and the US is just bullying us into this. It's ridiculous. We have all the protections in the world we need and those bad boys are just picking on us. Number one, big out there for the world to see. The next thing that they've done is they haven't said one way or the other whether they're going to approve the deal or not. I think um, uh, the next play is that they're in some way, I don't know if they're funding it, but the Chinese have to be um, uh, uh, at least wanting it to happen, these cases that go forward. Because if the, ju if the judge says, TikTok, you're, you're, you know, Trump, you're enjoined from banning TikTok, well, now the Chinese say, okay, I think we, it's time to renegotiate this deal. And uh, because what's Trump going to do? He's stuck at that point. This seems to be the response. Now, that third part, no one's saying. But I'm telling you, it's true. I know it's true. This is all about Trump's leverage. His leverage comes in the law. Uh, I don't really think, you know, 52 million users strong are going to just say, okay, U.S. government says I shouldn't use it. I'm not going to use it. It's all about whether he can, you know, impose these extraordinary powers under under the statute that he has. And uh, so far, he's 0 for 1. We'll see what they file today. <laughs> That's why I say it's all about these cases. That's the response from China, and I think it's – don't be surprised if there's a complete renegotiation of the deal. And then, and, and, and then it becomes very interesting from Oracle's and Walmart's perspective, and do they say, well, you know, I thought I had a deal with you just because we've, you know, beaten up on this and this. I shouldn't have to – and they may walk, and then Microsoft may come back into the picture. Who knows? What uh, – yeah, so looking at, like you said, Oracle and Walmart, I mean, what – what is their real stake in this in terms of what's on the table for them? Yeah. So, um, and I think it's different and it's less clear with Walmart, but real clear with Oracle. Mm -hmm. So um, Oracle and Oracle is going to get a little bit more than, than Walmart. I forget what the, I think Oracle puts up seven and a half million and, and Walmart, the rest of the, of the 12 billion that, that needs to come up. Um, so, Oracle wants its cloud business. It sees its cloud business as a big um, revenue generator in the future. And it's, um, uh, it's got tough competition between Amazon's cloud business and Microsoft's cloud business. So the part of this deal is Oracle gets to store in its cloud all the data, um, all the security stuff. I'm not sure if it's worldwide or just the US, but all of it gets in the US is um, uh, is housed that will be just a huge benefit to its cloud business it seems to me um, and in addition to having what looks like a very hot app and in a big investment a very hot app that's going to put its cloud business on the map highly competitive and only do good things that's why it's in the deal from what i understand mm -hmm. walmart a little different um uh, there's noise about Walmart um, getting into China and this being a route to do so. It's not quite clear to me what the fit is. I had heard some rumblings about um, uh, the payment systems um, and the technology could be of a lot, a huge benefit for Walmart. I believe that. It's true. I think Walmart wants to take on Amazon in the, you know, in the internet world and in the delivery world and all of that. 
it's not clear to me exactly what Walmart's doing, but Oracle is very, very clear. Their, their, their cloud business just gets, you know, instant steroids on this deal. It's big. I don't know how, another part of this deal, and sorry to like take it into multiple directions, oh. that, so the buyers have promised, or maybe it's ByteDance, I'm not sure who's promised it, to create, they're going to headquarter this new company, TikTok Global in Texas, lovely state. They're going to create 25,000 jobs. I don't get that. I think Snap. <laughs> Angela is cracking up here. I mean, that's, <laughs> you just don't need that many jobs to run this business. I don't think. I'm not quite sure where those jobs, what they're going to do. But um, I, I think Snapchat, for example, has like 4,000 employees. And um, so I'm yeah, a, lot, a lot of promises there, but um, uh, not sure how they're going to keep some of them. Yeah. So there you go. What's the buzz? If you've heard any, you know, you always see Warren Buffett out there, like you know, what what's the thought in the market with respect to investments in these companies right now? To be sure, um, tech has been wildly hot uh, and has driven a lot of the market's gains. Um, um, the big names, uh, the apples of the world. Uh, um, have really driven Microsoft to, to, to a lesser extent, have really been driving those gains. Um, the valuations are, you know, nosebleed territory. Um, PayPal, for example, when last I checked, I think um, uh, uh, it was selling for for 100 times earnings. Uh, and that's, yeah, that means that the if, if, when you think about the formula for valuation, you put cash flow in the numerator, um, divided by a rate less growth, that means that if you're a hundred times earnings, the growth factor that you're thinking about has to be enormous. Um, and uh, okay, but um, uh, not for me, but it could be for others. So um, I'm not sure that this deal has done much for investing. Um, uh, but I, I, I can tell you, you're starting to see investors rethink valuations in the nosebleed territory, it looks like. And, and, and by the way, you know, in, until the election is over, the, the turmoil in the market is just going to be nuts. It's just going to be a nutcase kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so what, I guess, what should we look for next? Right? I mean, obviously, we have the court case kind of working its way through the system, but what should we be watching for from your perspective that might give us a little bit of a, a, a warning or a notification that, hey, something's about to happen from your perspective? Um, I think it's going to be different for two different deals. I think for the TikTok deal, which has, you know, certainly the terms have been set and we'll see if they keep. I, I really get the sense that it's going to be all about whether an injunction is going to be issued or not. And then let's, let's play it out. Let's say the injunction is issued. Now, China has to make a decision. Do I like these terms and take it? Um, uh, well, I'm sorry. Let's say the, the injunction is not issued that the court says, administration, you can ban TikTok. All of a sudden, the administration's leverage rises. China now really only has the card to play of you're a bully, you're a thug. 
Um, eventually that falls on deaf ears because everybody knows we're bullies and thugs. And uh, my sense is this deal gets done on the, on the level that it gets done. And then China will say, um, uh, look, Trump didn't get what he wanted. We beat him back. He, you know, he, he didn't get the commission and he didn't get control. And then what Trump will say is, well, listen to Adelkoff. That was just our starting point for negotiation and we're quite happy with this deal. And that's my guess of, of what the, that he should, that he really should. And it will all turn on that sort of power play of the injunction or not. Let's say that the injunction holds. If I'm China, I now say, the emperor has no clothes. I am going to go back. I am going to pull down his pants, and uh, I'm going to get more. Uh, what's he going to do? <laughs> and they're going to really stick it to him. Because um, I don't, I, I don't see any other leverage that Trump has. And I, I guess Congress could come in and, and and do something. I don't don't see that happening. I don't see them sort of agreeing to anything. And then maybe on the other side of this, depending on what politics looks like, something could happen. But if those injunctions, if that, if an injunction holds in TikTok, it's harder. I think WeChat is probably a, a WeChat has, could be different. Um, it's, it's so behemoth. Uh, it's so much bigger than TikTok. And, um, there really is a, a, an enormously compelling First Amendment case, it seems to me, less compelling in TikTok, but really compelling in WeChat. And, and, and by the way, we don't have a deal. We don't know what selling a portion of WeChat might look like. Uh, I, I, my sense is it's going to turn on this injunction, not injunction thing. If the injunction falls away in WeChat, which I suspect is less likely than in TikTok, um, I'm not sure how it plays out. I think Trump probably ratchets it up a little bit more, but um, you could get Google coming in trying to buy it. it. It would take a behemoth to wrestle away some semblance of control of WeChat. That's it. It's just mammoth. Too big, too big. So, uh, so how does this impact the like future deals uh, between China and the U.S.? I've got to believe that there's a chilling. It's going to have a chilling effect. Okay. Um, I, I suppose if um, the election, if, if 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 Biden wins the election, um, and you don't, uh, there'll certainly be a different tone in Washington. I'm not sure that the deglobalization. Um, specter is going to completely go away, though. Um, I think there's there's going to be questions about that, but it, it it just can't be good for global deal making to have any sovereign say, <laughs> "I'm making you sell your company because I don't like the way you smell today." That's really that's that's there's no way to do business it's really i only i i can only recall that how i'm sure it's happened before and that we don't know about it i certainly don't know about it but i know of uh, uh, times in russia and I can't say too many specifics um where the russian government has basically said you got to sell a portion of that business to xyz and whether xyz is a part of the government or a friend of the government or whatever it is I've seen it happen in Russia. I haven't seen it happen anywhere else in the world. It's got, it can't be good. 
<laughs> just, that's no way to that's just no way to run an economy. And this might be sidetracking a little bit, but you know, I think you know, a good portion of our listeners are in that age range where you know they do use TikTok a lot, right? So what do you think would happen if you like you said, depending upon how the deal works out, but you do have a disruption in TikTok. Um, you know, say the say everything works out and you know we're we're you know, you know the deal goes through. Do you think those users would leave TikTok for another app and really kind of you know, you're, you ended up with half the company that you had before because of the disruption? Or do you think because it's just part of society and that's the way that they communicate and you know, interact that they'll stay with TikTok through all of this? Again, I'm not sure I know. Um, yeah. I think it's easier though for users to um, uh, stop using TikTok than it is to stop using WeChat. And in some cases, WeChat is the only communication tool in, in, into China. Uh, and of course, in the rest of the world, we've got all, all of these issues about the digital payment systems and, and what have you. You know, TikTok strikes me as um, uh, uh, not fad-like, but um, uh, it's, 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 it's the new interesting thing. But you know, it's it's just like a scandal in the office. You know, you're 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 the news of the day when you're having a scandal in the office. But it's only as long as the next till the next scandal comes along, and then you're yesterday's news. I think they could quickly find themselves to be yesterday's news if they're banned for a period of time in the United States, and that it's yeah. easy just for Instagram or whoever so, to pick it up. I'd also like to add in too that I think that a lot of these social media apps are generational. Like for me, growing up, my generational app was really Facebook, right? But as I teach to students today, they're not on Facebook, you know? Uh, when I go on Facebook, I'm still seeing all my friends from high school, but I'm not seeing the younger generation on there, right? I think that the younger underneath my generation, even Twitter has kind of dissolved its stronghold on a particular generation. I think TikTok is really there for this gen, what is it, gen, is it gen Z? Um, that, that's yeah, that you're in, in, in control or heading toward that control. And so I actually think that if there is a disruption with TikTok, by the time it's resolved, there is gonna be another app that's out there. And I actually think the next generation will be on it and forcing it forward. Yeah, or my generation was the Kodak moment. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and Betamax. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Dennis. I'm in the same boat that <laughs> I think Angela, you have a great, great point. Uh, uh, it is a generational thing. And doesn't that generation quickly move on if, if, you know, it's taken away from them? Yeah. And that's the thing, like you said, I think because the market's so responsive and there's always so much new development and technology that, you know, you start to see them kind of skipping between platforms much more quickly. And I just think, like you said, if there's a disruption, you might have that initial grumble, but I, I think they're going to move. Well, so let me ask you guys this. Let's say that there's a ban that, in fact, they do move. It decreases the valuation of TikTok by $10 billion, And then all of a sudden the ban goes away, but the, but the customers don't come back. Does the does TikTok does ByteDance now have an expropriation argument with the government that says, hey, 
your government action was wrongful. You damaged us. You like took our property, and now you got to give us just compensation. And here's the number: stroke a check for ten billion. I think you do. I mean, when you talk about precedents, right? I mean, put that same argument over maybe a civil civil lawsuit or any other type of lawsuit. Yeah, if you're demonstrating that your action inherently caused me to lose a significant chunk of my industry and revenue to no fault of our own because you guys initiated it, of course I'm going to come after you, right? And, I agree. And why not? It's, it's, it's the risk of sort of a flimsy um, uh, theory of why you can take a baseball bat to the negotiation. Uh, uh, and you know, I'm not sh it, it's not necessarily a bad thing to overplay your hand. You just have to be ready for the consequences. Yeah. It, as you said, you kind of have to take that gamble, right? I mean, is what you're trying to really ultimately achieve at the end and you're a big blue sky like what if, is somebody going to call your bluff there we go right. not not even steve mnuchin could save him on this one and i think he's fantastic yeah so yeah and it's a it's an interesting topic and there are so many moving parts and i think there are so many things yet that still need to happen um like you said it it may be the court case. It may be another domino that, that maybe springboards and pushes this some other direction. But again, it, it certainly is unprecedented. Um, it's incredibly interesting because again, it's, it's not just industry, it's not just government, but it's also social, it's also domestic, it's also international. Uh, there's, there's a lot of really interesting components that I, I, and we just don't have that crystal ball to see what's going to happen. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have you guys back and we're going to have this conversation again in a few months and, and see what happens to see if we're right. Or we're still basically waiting. Right. Or there's going to be just another great topic and, and, and example of deglobalization out there because mm -hmm. I promise you'll we'll be talking about that for years and years to come. Yeah. So any final thoughts, Steve, you know, it's, uh, you know, we talked about, like you said, what's uh, what to look for. Um, anything to wrap this up as, as much as possible, I guess. I, I um, uh, take heart um, that um, just over the next, you know, and, and, and until the election is over and we have the results, and that might take a little while, it's going to be a tremendously tumultuous time. And uh, just sort of center, know that that's going to happen. Center yourself. Watch for the ride, enjoy the ride, but I promise you, when it's over, no matter what happens in the election, it's going to calm down, and that's going to feel good. So just when if you, if you get really stressed out over the next six or so weeks, and you just want to you know pull out your hair, and it's it's, it's going to be so the news is going to be horrible, so it's so stressful. Just remember, once the elections, uh, this is what happens in an election year. Once the election's over, things will calm down promise you no matter what the result of the election is very well said so dennis and angelo what do you think uh and once again steve i just uh i enjoy uh speaking with you i enjoy your the what you bring to the table and again you've gotten me so intrigued with this globalization i just keep uh i keep processing it so i appreciate uh 
you educating on us on a lot of this stuff. So thank you. It's just a pleasure, Dennis, and I can't wait till we can have a beer in person together and 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 discuss it some more. There you go. Steve, you know, when you get a chance, give me your PayPal or Venmo. I feel like I got to pay you admission for this <laughs> stuff now. Like these conversations are just extremely. Right. So we'll, we'll uh, full circle it and we'll use one of those apps to, to get you paid. You're too kind. Thank you so much. <laughs> Very apropos, Angela. I love it. So, well, yeah, again, Steve, you know, we greatly appreciate you taking the time. And again, every time you come on, I feel like I learn about a million new things. Uh, you know, it's, it's relevant and in-depth, and we appreciate that. It's such a pleasure, guys. Really enjoy it. Really enjoy talking to you, and you're doing fantastic work. Uh, we, I love taking the hill. It's just, it's just great. Really enjoy it. Thank you. Well, we're trying hard, and uh, you know, in terms of continuing that, listeners, again, we love uh, all the support and love you guys have showed us. Uh, like I said, we're going to keep uh, pushing the episodes out. Again, if you have not checked out Steve's earlier episode, jump back. It's episode number nine called Over the Horizon with Steve Adelkoff. Uh, again, like you said, he's a wealth of knowledge and no doubt we'll have him uh, probably up in uh, October. You may even see him on the other side of the table leading the discussion as a guest host. So uh, things are certainly being planned there. And again, like you said, from both Dennis, and Angela and myself, you know, we truly appreciate you guys hanging with us. Uh, we'd also like to get another quick shout out to our team this semester. We, we have the great fortune of having Blake Bechero and Emily Schoenberg with us, uh, both in marketing and video. Uh, so again, they're doing wonderful work behind the scenes, pushing episodes and media out to you guys as well. So, you know, big congratulations to those two uh, for all their efforts. And if you have not done so, also make sure you check out Angelo's Spitting Thoughts, our world-renowned podcaster herself himself is also out there keeping you connected to the music, music industry. So as always, you know, keep exhibiting leadership regardless of what role you're in, and we look forward to seeing you in the next